Lord God, we've just sung that we want you to be God, uh, and so of everything else, we will let go. And this is just a small sign of things we want to let go of. Please uh, teach us to treat things and stuff and money rightly, that we may never put them in place of you. And as we give uh, here and in the other ways that we do, we ask that you would use all that we are to serve and praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Do please sit and uh, please be finding uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 14 through to 19. I did warn those who were here last uh, week uh, about the topic for this evening. Um, Let me just begin then by saying that uh, as you look from verses 14 to 19 on page 1175, you'll see that in the the middle of that reading there's a heading, Living as Children of Light, ignore it. Uh, Those headings are modern, and sometimes they delude us so that we put things in sections, uh, whereas the writer would just run them on. So I want to get those two two elements uh, together uh, tonight. And there is lust in this passage, and there's also love. So I thought, well, let's consider those two together. But I'm not stupid. I know you'll want to know far more about lust. Uh, And that made me think, well, this is an opportunity then to offer the dreaded sex talk, but authentically within the series that we're already in on Ephesians. It doesn't mean I have to deal with everything, but there are some useful things that we might say. By the way, I'm not sure whether at the start of the service uh, my my colleague introduced us by name. Uh, If you like what I have to say on this topic, my name is Alan Strange, and I'm the senior minister here at Holy Trinity. If you don't, I'm Will Warren. (laughs) So let's begin with lust. And that made me think of porn. So I thought we'd start off with a a picture uh, of some porn. So can we have the first slide up? There we go. Well, that is from a collection of Japanese pornographic etchings that are currently on display at the British Museum. Early 19th century. Try not to get too excited. It is interesting, though. The British Museum has had those pictures for a very long time. But this is now the climate in which it's acceptable to put erotic pictures on display. Times have changed. We'd better lose that picture, actually, for a moment, Thomas, in case it just gets too much for us. (laughs) Even ten years ago, I can remember a voice tape being played in this service, uh, the testimony of a man who had problems uh, with porn. I knew him quite well, but I hadn't known about the problem. It was ten years ago. And then, the problem was magazines, but no longer. I don't know whether you know the internet song from the musical Avenue Q. Uh, If you don't, then uh, Lucy does, because she's just laughed. So do have a word with her afterwards. I, I did wonder whether to show it, but I decided too many would be offended. It's not remotely pornographic, but it is very funny. 
Uh, you can find it on YouTube uh, very easily. And the offense would be that it's funny. And there's something in that. Porn leads to all kinds of problems. But if we're funny about it, then surely we're not taking it seriously as Christians. Well, let's lighten up a bit. In an average-sized congregation, there'll be some alcoholics, some greedaholics, some workaholics, and probably some pornaholics. But there's no reason to suppose that one's worse than another. Drink can lead to alcoholism. But it doesn't stop a joke being funny about an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman going to a pub. Yes, it's serious, but we don't make it easier to deal with if we think it's uniquely awful. But it is the internet that's caused the change, isn't it? I've just sent my son off to uni, uh, to a single room, with his shiny new laptop and Wi-Fi. Well, I could spend the next three years worrying about what he's going to be looking at. Some of you have got parents worrying about what you're looking at. But it's no longer a problem only for men. The greatest change in porn watching is now among young women. 20% of young women under 18 are now looking at porn once a week or more. Some won't necessarily be visiting the site on their own. It may be that they are with their man who's trying to persuade them to do this or that, but they are seeing it. And those watching porn are getting younger. I asked a teacher friend recently what impacts he was noticing, and he reckoned that it's now normal uh, to watch porn routinely among 11- and 12-year-old boys. What's the effect within society? Well, surely the effect is now that porn is now normal. An essentially private activity is nonetheless part of the social culture enough that young men now expect sexual partners to present themselves the way that they've seen in porn movies without body hair. It's that peculiar private issue showing up in public. And another effect, and I have to say this is equally anecdotal, I haven't spent hours looking at the social science of this, but I'm a vicar, so lots of people talk to me. Another effect is that the society is led to what St. Paul calls here in verse 19, a continual lust for more. Plain or vanilla porn leads to a desire for more exotic and weird porn. I remember one friend telling me that he would see friends uh, from time to time down the pub and they would be competing with each other on their mobile phones to discover who'd been watching the weirdest porn. And so with that lust for more going on, more porn, uh, well, the lust for more in Paul's sense, it's not surprising that we're in a generation of those addicted to porn. There are many who are as addicted to porn watching as others are to gaming or gambling or drinking, which is really not surprising. And I do get frustrated when Christians in churches start to behave as though this is odd. If we only tut-tut about porn, we're never going to pay attention to why it's so attractive. But surely it's understandable. You can find on the internet, if you go home tonight, a kind of sexual partner who will be doing what you want a sexual partner to be doing. You can feel in control. You know you're not, but you can feel in control. You can feel that someone is doing what you want and giving you the kind of respect that goes with that. 
and you get a great physical release. Now, let's dig a little deeper into fairly murky territory. You see, I hear all this about porn addiction, and I recognize it. There are those, I've met some, who have a real and genuine addiction to watching porn. But my experience is that that is a relatively small, if for them, really important segment. Far greater are the number who simply use porn a lot. And I have lots of experience talking with people, uh, well, not true, it's actually entirely male, my experience of talking with guys, who say they have a problem with porn. And I want to suggest that that is wrong. Wrong that there is a, a widespread addiction. See, I'm afraid that what we're doing is finding it easy to blame porn, to turn it into a something out there where the problem lies. Now, there are words that don't often get used in church, but I did warn you last week. I don't know of anyone who has ever said to me, yes, Alan, I enjoy watching porn. I normally watch it for 15 minutes every evening, and then I turn out the light and go to sleep. Some brave woman here may want to tell me afterwards that it's different for you, but I can tell you that men watch porn in order to masturbate. And I don't even like using that word. It sounds like a medical condition. And no man ever used it about himself. And when we objectify porn and make porn the issue out there, we're avoiding responsibility for everything that goes on down there. And actually up here too, because the brain is the largest sex organ. There are particular issues with porn and the way that the internet has turned it into this pub, has made it a matter of public culture. But it feeds off an older and much more personal set of issues. And in our time, it's not even only about porn and mostly with porn's solo experience. It's also about partnered experience. It's possible in some American universities, for all I know, it started happening here, I don't know to sign up publicly for a sexual partner for the evening. It's kind of like friends with benefits, but just for one evening, before picking up your college homework again, I guess. Some of you are freshers. Many of you have been freshers. Some of you will be freshers. And the unspoken message in many university environments is about whether you are doing it. And it's interesting how the pressure works. I know of one guy who lived in a house where the others were not followers of Jesus, and they were absolutely determined, one way or another, that they would see him lose his virginity. And on a regular basis, they would try to get him drunk, simply in order to find out what could happen if they then introduced a woman into the environment. They did not mind him being a Christian. They did mind him being a Christian and living a discipled life. Honestly, I do not know how some of you manage. The pressure in the environment of late teens and early 20s to have sex must sometimes be nearly overwhelming. And for others, it's the pressure to think that you must be socially useless because you don't have that opportunity. Well, enough of this. I want you to talk to each other. Don't worry, it's not going to be really embarrassing. Um, uh, Talk to each other just for a couple of minutes uh, about what you reckon was the greatest invention of the 20th century.
Go on. At it. The answer is not porn, by the way, just to let you know. Okay? Okay, let's have some uh, answers. What do you reckon? Antibiotics. Antibiotics? Yep, good one. Car? Someone tell you to say computer? Go on, Eugene. Penicillin. Okay, that's another of the antibiotics. Flight. You mean powered flight. Yeah, because birds have been doing it for a while. But, um, <laughs> um, radio. Any others? Okay, I think you're all wrong. It doesn't say so in the Bible, so you can carry on thinking what you think. But um, I think it's the pill. I don't think there is any invention that will have the control, that have the impact over several centuries coming, because everything else just enabled us to do what we were already doing, but a bit faster. Antibiotics, yes, okay, that, that's, that's important, because it did stop quite a lot of people dying. But on the other hand, they died anyway, eventually. But the pill, the contraceptive pill, enabled humankind to take charge of the reproductive cycle. Sex was freed from the container of covenanted relationships. And of course, at the time, campaigners said, and a great thing that is too. And it was turned into a leisure activity. Think of all the leisure activities that we take part in, and now sex is just one of them. And that, I suggest, is where our modern challenge lies. Porn is not new. Look at the early 19th century. Masturbation certainly is not new. And it isn't that everything was so great in the old days when sex was supposedly kept inside its container, because it's not for nothing that prostitution is called the world's oldest profession. But sex as leisure, free from commitment and free of charge... Surely that's new. And it's apparent at every turn. Hen parties are the staple diet that keeps Anne Summers in business. Women have discovered that sex is discussable and even occasionally fun. Even Boots now sells vibrators. Jesse Boot, upstanding Christian pharmacist of Nottingham, must be turning in his grave. Channel 4 is about to run a series called Sex Box, in which three couples will be invited to have sex in a sealed room and then interviewed to describe how it was for them. And there's a really dark side. The youngsters, nearly all girls, who are persuaded by some boy to take a picture of themselves in some intimate and compromising way. That's a picture that then goes to the boy and then to every single one of his mates, because girls, that's how boys are, and then to the whole school. That kind of sexting leads to depression, self-harm, and occasionally suicide. I listened to a sermon the other day on porn. By many standards, it would have been a really good sermon. It was sensible, it was logical, and it was very clearly and uprightly Christian. But I thought it was rubbish, because it didn't take on the fact that we are dealing with a whole culture 
in which sex has become a leisure activity. And if we don't understand why people would want sex as a leisure activity, then something's wrong with us. The whole uh, twist that the church has got itself into around gay stuff, sexual orientation, is tiny compared to this. Sexual orientation, sexual experimentation, and porn itself, once the pill frees up reproduction from sex as leisure, then sex as leisure seems utterly reasonable to most normal right-thinking people. And that's the culture that many of you have grown up in. So it's not enough to say, as the preacher did, when you're about to watch porn, think about the woman on the screen. She's badly paid, exploited, and one member of a profession in which many seek obliteration in drink or even suicide. That's terrible, because it's true. But no man about to click that button on his laptop is going to stop and say, oh yeah, I better not do that because the women are exploited. Anyone thinking that just doesn't understand the drives going on here. We've got to travel much, much, much further up the river if we're going to do anything about this. Now, I come from a halfway generation, the generation in which lads mags were on the top shelf and it was known there could be a problem. And we've got to stop giving, advi- giving the advice to the current generation that was given to mine. See, I grew up when people said, you mustn't have sex too early, it might just be a bit of fun for you as a man, but it's a really serious emotional bond for the girl, and it's really unfair if you exploit the way her emotions get caught up in sex. That was then. But then I remember a friend of mine, 15 years ago, going to be a hotshot lawyer in London, working for a corporate law firm, and saying on a Friday night they'd go out for drinks, and everyone would sit around, and he said he had never really clocked this till he got there, that the women were more predatory about sex than the men were. The days are gone when we could just assume that men are bad and women are basically virtuous. Well, let's talk about God. And I think the change in sex culture actually exposes some lies that we Christians are inclined to tell ourselves. <coughs> of course, we tell ourselves the easy lies that it's, the, it's porn. I blame porn. Let's not blame porn. Because it's about us. And I want to name three of the lies. Firstly, God won't mind. Doesn't matter what the issue is, I've been told by my Christian brothers that it's all about affection anyway, that love or even marriage are in view, and so it's not a big deal because God won't mind. The lie that we tell ourselves is that discipleship is about what God will or won't mind. What an extraordinary way to think. We've learned in Ephesians that God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ so that we have access to the Father by the Spirit and we wonder what God will mind. I've got one simple truth from Scripture with which to reply to anyone who's thinking that tonight. Does it please your heavenly Father? Is it an activity that you enter, engage upon by the Spirit? Does it please God? 
And if I've been reading Ephesians, I might add another question. Does it please your Heavenly Father and build the church of God? If it doesn't, don't do it. Second lie. Seize the day. Well, it's the great line that runs through a thousand romantic books and movies, and it always means the same thing. Let the consequences sort themselves out. You just live for the day. But look at verse 15 for a moment, and the verb that's in it. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. Never noticed this potential significance of this before. But the follower of Jesus will not generally bother following Jesus if the uh, emphasis that they have is only on the day, today. The follower of Jesus always has one eye on the day and one eye on the future. In practice, what does that mean? Well, how would you students or young people feel if... uh, your parents said to you, go and have a great time at college or in sixth form. Grab as much sex as you can because you're only young once. Like the crooked multi-story car park, it's just wrong on so many levels. Yet what what will you say to your children when they're ready to go to uni if you seized the day now? when you could. I'm now hearing from younger people of how difficult it is to stay on a Christian track when their own Christian parents are saying, well, it it probably is better to sleep together, just to be sure. Why are they saying that? Not because it's better, but just because they did. What kind of future do you want for yourself, in your family, or in any church where you may have responsibilities? It's hard for younger people to believe in the future. But believe me, it's coming. So you possibly shouldn't be. Thirdly, it's my body. And this seems to me to be the lie of lies, the the foundation lie that's at the bottom of everything. I am my own, and I shall deal with my body the way that I shall choose. It's so understandable, but it's so far from the Christian message. But like all these lies, they are ones that kind of infect our Christian teaching. And Paul here is talking about the lies that infect Christian teaching. And I wonder where the churches have gone wrong to allow our younger people to believe that we are our own selves and that God is the something we believe in, somehow out there. Because the truth is that we're not. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We were slaves to sin, he says in Ephesians, from which we are freed to serve Christ just as holy as any slave would do. I am not my own. But I belong body and soul in life and in death to God my Father and to my Saviour Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. And if you aren't a Christian as you're here tonight, 
then I don't want to pretend that it's a cost-free existence. I don't want to say to you, come to Jesus and everything will be warmth and light and a holy glow will suffuse your every waking hour. It is totally free what Christ offers, but it costs everything that you have and are. Three lies. It's my body. God won't mind. Seize the day. And all opposed, I think, by one line, just one line, in this text this evening. Again, verse 15. Instead of 15, instead of uh, false teaching, we quote, speak the truth in love. Oh, but surely that's irrelevant. That's in the, the section 14 to 16. It's about church and teaching. Yes, it is, and that's why I want to be clear that we shouldn't obey these little divisions. When love precedes lust, a couple of verses later as it does here, then we're right to think about the meaning of each in the total context. I was impressed recently when a friend who'd been a bit of a lad in his time talked about the difference, the holy difference, of marriage. Sex in marriage is, or should be, a speaking, or at least a communication, of the truth in love. The truth is that I may be drop-dead gorgeous now, but I shall get wrinkly. Will you still love me? I've said I will. That truth is the commitment on which a marriage, a family, and a society are all founded. However good solo sex or partnered sex might feel outside that commitment, it cannot offer the joy of that truth. And until that truth is there, until that truth is spoken, then every other kind of sex is kind of waiting and wondering whether it ever will be. In the sex of marriage, for those called to it, for all the challenges that there can be, each speaks the truth about the other. It is indeed a little church. Because yes, this is about the church, but that's what every little marriage is. I want to wrap up. I've gone on for a long time. There's much more I could say. But you can see the outlines of what needs saying. And frankly, the only reason you have any of these kind of sermons is in order that we kind of speak the words and make it okay to speak the words in these walls. Do not believe the lies of who you are in Christ. Don't believe the lies about what Christ has done. Don't settle for a kind of Christ light that leaves you believing it's your body, your moment, and your father doesn't much care. Those are all untrue. Now let's come to some practical help. No doubt, uh, well, in fact, I know, there are going to be opportunities for prayer at the end of our service. Uh, Martin and Carol will no doubt come to the front. But it would be a brave person who will come forward tonight. Even if you've got gout, you'll be wondering what others will be thinking. So uh, let me recommend uh, two options. Could we have our slide up, please? If porn is your issue, then use your internet usefully to order from Amazon a copy of Captured by a Better Vision by Tim Chester. 
it's a, it's a, it's a good book. Uh, there are probably others. It's the one I find most useful to recommend to people. It's got much more detail than we've covered tonight. There's diverse stories. And you're likely to find one story there that feels like it's you. And it will be helpful. However, uh, perhaps we can put that up at the end of the service as well, Thomas, if you would. However, the issue for many is the secrecy. It's that terrible burden of something that's wholly secret, but you belong to a church and you put your nice face on for church. And we have made it worse in the church by making sex the one very nearly unmentionable issue in Christian congregations. Well, if you have a buddy, then I recommend the website uh, that is there. Uh, I always find websites very difficult to remember, but if you go looking for x3watch.com, you'll no doubt uh, find it. Uh, It's quite an extensive now um, network of uh, uh, programs on that, but that particular one within the family of programs um, is uh, an accountability program. I'm a buddy for a couple of people on it, and I know others are here too. Uh, You pick a buddy who will see, you agree a set of sites, websites, that are kind of innocuous and it's fine. Every time you go to check the weather, there won't be a problem. Um, But uh, apart from the ones you agree, uh, then your buddy sees a record of all the sites you've visited over a fortnight. Uh, It's not perfect, and I should say there are other sites I know uh, someone here for whom Covenant Eyes has worked. That's uh, another one. I just find X3 Watch easy to remember. Thirdly, just talk to someone. Uh, I know that, at least in the mornings, uh, uh, Will and I wear dog collars, uh, so we couldn't possibly understand what you're going through. <laughs> but between the man who's been married for one year and the man who's away from his wife for five weeks, you might be surprised by what we understand. Can we pray together? And let's have some quiet just at the beginning. Because some of you are wrestling with stuff. And um, you're just churned up. You're wondering, could I dare tell anyone? You're afraid that if you made a promise to God not to go there then you'd let yourself down, and so you don't want to risk making the promise. God's your Father. You can stumble every day. And I'm just, uh, I know Simon's going to lead the rest of our prayers in a moment, and I'm in in some degree of faith, because I've not seen them, uh, guessing that there'll be uh, something relevant from this. But uh, I'm just going to pray, therefore, uh, not a general ending prayer, but just a prayer of repentance. Haven't prepared it, so let's see what happens. Let's pray. Lord God, I repent of everything in this area that I've got wrong. I'm sorry. You know the number of times I've said sorry to you before. And I've gone back to it. 
And I don't want to risk the loss of integrity that runs around saying, I'm really, 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 really sorry. But right now, I'm here, and I've heard what's been said, and I've sung your praises, and I've been reminded to let go of all else that is not God. And so I really do want to let go of it. Uh, you have made yourself mine in the cross of Christ. And here, once again, I want to make myself yours. May I belong to you in soul and in body, in life and in death. Amen. Amen.